Welcome to a new edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series with Grammy-winning violinist and composer Mark O'Connor. We talked to him on January 10th, 2022, about this newly re-emerged COVID world, his life as a prodigy in music, his latest 2021 CD, Meanings Of, and so much in between. He's set to re-release a host of albums and has had plenty of time to start on his biography in earnest. Over his storied musical existence, he has won three Grammys, seven CMA Awards, along with several national national fiddle, guitar, and mandolin champion titles. He's been all over the globe and even went to the White House to perform in front of President Ronald Reagan as a teenager. He's got a fascinating story. Enjoy. Hey, thanks for taking a minute out for me on jazz. I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. What a strange time it's been on planet Earth since March of 2020, huh? <laughs> yes, it sure has this, uh uh, for everyone, and uh, of course for musicians too. <laughs> Man alive! Well, and the one thing I think that's probably been the most therapeutic for the world of jazz is there's been an opportunity to release music, which you know people have more latitude now to listen to music. You know, even as this thing is undulated, it's you know gotten intense and it's reared back. So, talk to me a little bit about your latest album meanings of and what it means to you to be able to release an album now during this time that's very strange well one of the things that uh i was able to do during the pandemic is uh is to do some reissues of from older albums uh as well as work on new projects so this was kind of i was kind of covering both bases my my newest album uh, markology 2 is all guitar and it's probably an album that I might not have done otherwise uh, without the extra time I put in and being able to record it at home over a period of several months. Um, and then uh, and reissues from my old uh, Warner Brothers and Rounder records catalog, which are kind of falling into my lap now because of that 35-year rule where the masters revert back to the artists and I'm getting to take advantage of that now. So I'm, I'm putting them on my own label and, and remastering them. And that's been uh, uh, quite a kick too during this time. And so I've been able to put more attention to it. So I guess during this time too, the one thing that's been very evident is that it's been a time of self-reflection for all of us. There's been more time indoors, more, you know, quarantine lockdown time. What what have you learned about yourself over this time that's going to make you stronger as we reemerge back into the world and start doing live gigs and some of the things we were used to before? One of the things that I've been able to do is um, write songs. Um, actually, for the first time, I've I've kind of avoided writing vocal songs all this time, really putting all my effort into instrumental music. I decided it kind of jarred the whole thing, kind of jarred me, and I. It put me in a new place to try some new things that maybe I would have tried in my 20s, for instance, because I was young and bold and aggressive and, and wanted to uh, change things up. And then, you know, after a while, you know, uh, you kind of like uh, get used to what you like to do and what you do best. Kind of jarred me into another frame of mind again, and I d dove into some things that were maybe more risky for me, or I, I didn't have the kind of confidence that I would have otherwise had um, on another kind of project. So I started writing vocal songs, and I started to 
uh, write my autobiography, which I had pushed off year after year. I'd, I'd started a couple false starts and just I went, I, I don't know if I can get into this, especially my childhood years, which uh, needed to be written about, but it just took so much time and effort and emotional capacity to, to get, get in there. And so during the time at home, um, you know, I was able to put in um, all these all this extra time. Matter of fact, I'm still working on it. It's been over a year I've been working on the autobiography. I work on it every day. So I, I just was able to do some other things I maybe wouldn't have uh, been able to do on a regular schedule. So we've had some windows here during COVID to actually get out and perform live before everything, the variants started coming in. Did you have a chance to perform live and feel that satisfaction? In this fall, we've, uh, we booked, we were able to book eight uh, concerts in uh, performing arts centers and nice theaters. And it was really wonderful to be able to get back out. Um, Maggie and I have our duo concerts that we've been working on as well. All during the pandemic, we had um, online shows every Monday night. Um, and we did 70 of them, consecutive Mondays. And uh, over the course of that, um, we really fell in love with our duo performances again, and we also developed material, a uh, lot more material for it uh, than we had originally. And so we were able to get out um, finally and perform some of that stuff in front of an audience, a live audience, and it was so wonderful to be able to do that. You know, we all have this flashpoint where, you know, whether you fall in love with music or you begin to play it, there's a moment where you're like, yeah, this is it, this is what I want to do. How did this happen for you? Talk, and talk to me a little bit about where you were born and raised. Yeah, I, I was born and raised in Seattle, Washington. I started, uh, um, you know, getting into music um, through uh, recordings and what I could find on television. Um, and then... Uh, when I was 11, I started getting pretty good. And, and by the time I was 12, I started traveling as a child musician and meeting all kinds of, uh, you know, legendary players and learning from them. So my, my transi transition into music um, at a pretty high level happened early for me. I was a, um, a prodigy type of uh, child um, that... Uh, that were playing concerts and winning competitions all around the country at age 12. And I was uh, signed to Rounder Records at age 12. I was the youngest person ever to be signed there. So, yeah, it, it was a, a trip. I had a whole career just in my childhood before I became an adult musician and entered groups like the, the David Grissom Quintet and the Dregs and Strength in Numbers and and other groups, and then became a Nashville session player before I concentrated on my solo uh, solo work uh, with Warner Brothers and Sony Classical and my work with Yo-Yo Ma and all the concertos I've composed since then and and uh, and chamber music and, and various, you know, bluegrass and folk and jazz. Uh, I had my hot swing jazz group, uh, my jazz trio for a dozen years touring uh, music that um, I learned from and played with Stefan Grappelli, my final teacher, 
Well, and I was going to get into that before I do, because you've had such good sage teachers in your life. When you look back, I mean, there, there's always this notion of if you start too early, you know, there's things that, that, that can go amiss, or maybe it was too early on. When you look back on your life, living a whole lifetime, and as you alluded to in you know, your upcoming biography, you know, it took a lot out of you to even get back to those early years. When you look back now, after all this time, do you think it was okay? Do you think that it was the right time? What's your kind of cognition on that time? You know, for, for a long time, especially when I was a, a young adult, in my 20s and even in my 30s, I spent so much effort trying to forget about my childhood. Um, I needed to grow from it, away from it. Um, I didn't want to be 12 at forever, you know. And I think there's a stigma that happens with ch uh, professional child musicians. And, uh, you know, you, you learn a bit uh, weird. Um, um, and then you've got to make sense of it if you're going to be a professional musician after that. And, and many child uh, musicians do not survive that. They, they, you know, you, you lose, you hear about them when they're a young kid and then they disappear. Um, and, uh, you know, I didn't, I didn't want that for me. And so I worked really hard um, to not have that happen. And um, one of my you know, processes for uh, for preventing that is to try to forget about it. So um, I put a lot of the childhood stuff back so far in the rearview mirror that I, I n never even dealt with it um, for many years. So that's why at this point, you know, I'm 60 now, um, you know, I can certainly have the capacity to to go back and uh, and, and do it and write about it. Uh, but it has been an effort, um, and I needed the time to really fully get back there. And it's, it's been re very rewarding. I think people will really enjoy the book. It's a, it's a book about overcoming uh, odds and, and making it work. And I would think being around somebody as esteemed and legendary and wise as Mr. Grappelli was probably a good thing for you to kind of see maybe past some things and just as growth so when you look back on your time what do you remember what what what's really resonated with you now up to this day yeah it was just you know there's a beautiful chapter about my relationship with Stefan Grappelli um I was a later teen at that point I was 17 and 18 when I was with him and uh, he took me under his wing I got to play uh, double violins with him it, places like Carnegie Hall and other places on tour. And and I think uh, in addition to, you know, actually getting jazz violin lessons from him um, at that point um, and then getting to work with him, not only play the violin with him, but accompany him on guitar, he taught me to be, uh, you know, a universal musician, to know how to travel the world and how much it meant to him uh, to take his music uh, to new audiences. Um, he was having the time of his life, too, because it was, you know, like his second, you know, second or third career, really, because he was kind of rediscovered at age 65 for the world stage this time. He got to travel the world um, at that older age, um, and that was really inspiring. You know, as you mentioned, you didn't want to stay at 12 forever, 
but when, when was the moment in your career where you, you, you were on stage, you were out of that early realm of your life, and you're like, man, I'm an adult. I'm, a, I, I'm just in a different echelon of psyche and carrying on my career now. When did that happen for you? Well, I think the big breakthrough for me um, was when I was uh, 29, and I'd released the new Nashville Cats, and uh, that album just kind of broke open for me, and um, and all of a sudden I had all kinds of opportunities I, I never had before, and that really launched my solo career, and I was able to put all the compositions that I was had been working on for years. I was able to put that effort uh, front and center with my career. So I transitioned from being a part-time soloist and and most of the time sideman or session player to full-time soloist, artist, and composer. And boy, that you know that just opened up a bunch of new doors, um, including you know writing Appalachia Waltz for Yo-Yo Ma and uh you know composing nine violin concertos and uh and and having my tribute to Stefan Grappelli uh, uh who had just died at that point and uh, putting my hot swing trio together and all the things that have happened in my solo career because of getting that um you know first big success um out there with uh, new Nashville Cats You've won Grammys. You've traveled the globe. You've been to you know continents all over the all over the world. You played for a sitting president. There's been all of these things that have happened in your career up to this point. And I'm curious. I don't want to know because it's just not fair. And I'm not. And, and that's not where I'm going. I don't want to know what your favorite award was. But what what did you get? What recognition, accolade, did you get in your life that genuinely surprised you? That threw you for a loop and you didn't expect it. I mean, I think. When Appalachia Waltz with Yo-Yo Ma sold a half a million records, I don't think any of us thought that was <laughs> ever possible. Mm. Um, to have instrumental music played from the violin and cello, you know, and, and resonate uh, to that many people. Um, certainly, Yo-Yo Ma was fairly well known. Of course, he was a a superstar in classical music. Um, but, you know, his his records at that point were typically selling, you know, say 50,000. Um, and uh, we were hopeful that we could kind of get close to that. Um, and uh, when this when that broke open and that music, we called it a new American classical music. And when that resonated to so many listeners, um, I felt like... Um, that was not only surprising, but it, it, um, you know, it relaunched for me like a whole new track. And that led to, uh, all kinds of more surprises. Uh, one of them being I, I was able to author a whole method, uh, to learn how to play violin, the O'Connor method using American music. And, uh, you know, and, and putting American music front and center in the classical music realm. Um, was a really big deal and it surprised a lot of people how uh, successful it was. You know, the one thing that's been hallmark about your career too has been longevity. And I think 
you know, as far as I'm concerned with what I do with covering music, I find that as one of the more monumental achievements that a musician can have to stay relevant, to evolve, and to stay in the business that's not necessarily nice a lot of the times. So when you look back on your life, how how would you see your longevity kind of – how have you stayed in the game and stayed relevant and almost timeless this entire time that you've been in the music business? I really have uh, had the advantage of having a solo artist career where I didn't have to rely on specific people all the time. Um, and, uh, you know, it's wonderful to be – uh, well-known or even famous because you were in a band. But, man, it really it really uh, curtails a lot of other things that you want to try to get out there because, um, you know, it's just like in a, you know, kind of just robs or steals attention away from whatever you're doing. And so um, I've really tried to take advantage of that kind of autonomy and freedom. Uh, like, for, for instance, right now I met this wonderful young violinist uh, and singer Maggie, who's now my wife. And we created uh, not only our duo projects, but we put a family band together uh, with my son and, and daughter-in-law. We went uh, and we recorded and we won a Grammy for Best Bluegrass Album, which was so surprising to me to be able to have a family of musicians, someone that I, um, someone that grew up learning to play music as I did with nobody in my family as a musician. Um, I was the only one that um, taught my little sister how to play so she could play with me, but I didn't come from a family of musicians. Uh, and so now I have family members uh, who are musicians. So I think that's been really gratifying. Um, and uh, to play, you know, dual concerts with my life partner now, something I would have never imagined. I had been married before. Um, something that uh, I wouldn't have imagined being married to a professional musician and having that kind of close working relationship. I didn't think it was in the cards for me. Um, if I was, I, did, I thought I was a different kind of person that, that could not really handle that well. And I, it turns out that I surprised my own self with that. Um, and I feel like I have a great partnership and we have a lot of fun traveling and playing and making music. We're actually working on a re recording right now of a lot of vocal songs that I've written. And uh, we just tracked it in Nashville last weekend. You know, this is going to be my 47th feature album. And I'm I'm as excited about this one as any of them. You know, like it's, you know, it's like a kid in a candy store. Music keeps you young. Yeah, without a doubt. So let's say you have a dream tonight and you run into your younger version of yourself. And you can give yourself one piece of advice. And this isn't about regret. It's about the wisdom that you've gained of, or after all of these years. What would you tell your younger self? Oh, my goodness. Um, I felt like there was many, many years where it was such a struggle to have what you do resonate with enough people to make a living. And so what I ended up doing was playing for everyone else. And uh, and that's often the advice I give a lot of young musicians today because I see a lot of it ha um, happening in the opposite direction where um, 
they'll go out. The first thing they'll do is put their own group together. I usually caution a lot of musicians in saying, you know, maybe as difficult as it was for me at times, um, the track that I took was pretty cool. Like I was able to play with a lot of great musicians, learn from them, uh, learn from my mentors like Grappelli, being his sideman and then his student, um, and then go on, go out on your own. Uh, and then you have so much to bring with you when when you're ready. Because a lot of times, um, if you if you happen to make it and you have a, a successful project you launch, um, it's hard to follow it up um, because you're distracted and and everything gets crazy and you're doing interviews like this, you know, maybe every day. And and um, uh, but when you've got some experience behind you, you're ready for a solo career. So I think the, you know, I think uh, my story could be an inspirational one for others to follow in those footsteps, um, and uh, and that's one of the reasons why I'm writing this book um, because I think it could help a lot of musicians as well as be entertaining to music fans. So my final question to you is this: Everyone has a perception or idea of who they think you are: your family, your friends, your fans. But ultimately, you live your life. You have a perception of yourself. Who do you think you are? It's interesting because I, I'm writing a lot about this um, in my childhood years as well. But for, um, you know, for the longest time, um, I thought I was only a musician to people um, that I didn't feel like as a person I had really much to offer. Um, and I kind of proved that over and over <laughs> to, to myself and to a lot of to a lot of friends and people around me. Um, but um, I think, you know, as soon as you start to give of yourself um, on a personal level, especially to family, um, and then you're able to understand that you mean a lot to somebody else. Um, even if you don't play, and, and that, that's a whole nother awakening. Um, you know, my kids—they um, love my music, but they also just think I'm dad to them, and that I'm and I'm um, good in that way. And so that's uh, a complete circle. Beautiful, Mark. Thank you for taking a minute out for Neon Jazz today. Good luck with your future projects, the book, the return to the live stage. I appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you so much now. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players in Nashville, Charlotte, Kansas City, and spots all over the world giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Mark for his time, energy, and cool. If you want to hear more interviews, go to Famous Interviews with Joe Domino on the iTunes Store. Visit Neon Jazz at YouTube.com, and for everything Neon Jazz all the time, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends. Neon Jazz.